when you're studying the scriptures, or you could apply this to any document you really want to study thoroughly, I really think you should approach it in two modes. Last Lord's Day, when we were studying this, we we did it in the mode of let's cover a lot of text, let's see large themes over a large period of time, actually, right? Um, Sometimes, though, it's good to slow down and say, I'm going to focus on this small piece and interpret this and pay attention to the words. All right? we've done, with Nahum, we've done both. All right? And so today we're going to get back to um, taking it slowly. All right? And so we're going to do what we've done before. I've given you a handout that has four different translations. And we're going to take time and we're going to think through it. We're going to compare the translations. We're going to talk about the meaning. Uh, it's an interesting passage, I think, especially if you're interested in ancient warfare. And, you know, who isn't interested in wars? You know, it's, imagine the movie going on, whatever you want to, want to do here. So Nahum chapter 2. So we have four translations here. We have the ESV. We have the KGV, we have the Net Bible, and then we once again have Alter's translation. So, reminder, ESV, KGV, Net Bible, those are all committee translations. Alter is just one guy, right? And so he is, what you get with single-person translations, you often get very idiosyncratic, sometimes weird choices. Uh, but they're a great counterbalance to the committee translations because committee translations tend to be uh, tend to be conservative, and we're just we don't want to upset the folks too much by changing things, and so we don't want to tweak it too much. The Net Bible is a weird committee translation that they don't have quite those scruples, um, or they don't have that translation philosophy. But the ESV is certainly is certainly that way sometimes. So. So you have here um, the Nut Bible, the ESV, the KGV, the Net, and the and Altar. And on the other side, you have the next few verses. So Nahum, we discussed this. Um, Nahum is a prophecy about the destruction of whom? Nineveh. All right, and so this would be after Nineveh has destroyed the northern kingdom, and after that, Nineveh attacked Judah, and God defeated them. And so Judah did not get conquered, but the northern kingdom, by this point, is has been in, in exile. And now Nahum is prophesying the destruction of Nineveh and the protection of the formerly southern kingdom, now the only Israelite kingdom, right, the kingdom of Judah. And so, chapter 1 was, we went through that, right, and ended on a very positive note for Judah. Now in Nahum, chapter 2, we're going to talk about the battle. We're going to talk about the fight, uh, the conquest of Nineveh. If you would, read Nahum, chapter 1, excuse me, 2-1, and compare the translations, all right, Compare the translations and tell me if anything in the translation jumps out, out at you as this is interestingly different in these. And then we'll talk about what the meaning is. So go ahead. Nahum 2.1.
Okay. Nahum 2.1. Any thoughts on the translations here? What's, what's different? The Bible names Nineveh. If you if you have your Bible open to Nahum, you can read along. If not, just wait, just listen for a second. If you read the last verse of chapter one and you read the, the first verse of chapter two, all right, the transition is extremely abrupt. If there's no chapter break there, it reads like this, and this is talking about Judah. Behold, upon the mountains the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. Keep your feast, O Judah. Fulfill your vows, for never again shall the worthless pass through you. He is utterly cut off. The scatterer has come upon. Upon, uh, come up against you, man the ramparts, watch the road, dress for battle, collect all your strength. It sounds like it's talking about Judah, and everything's going great. And now it says, okay, man the ramparts, Judah. And that's not, right, we, we've actually si- switched subject matters at this point, all right? Judah, all good things happening. Now let's stop, talk about Nineveh, and talk about the conquest of Nineveh. So, what the Nut Bible does to clarify this is they add something that's not there. All right, They add in here, an enemy who will scatter you, Nineveh, has advanced against you. So they do this to help you out. And this is not the only time they've done this. We've already seen at least once where they've, they've added a word for clarification so they know who you're talking about. This would actually happen a lot. In, like This has very, been very normal for church readings in churches where... You know, through the history of the churches, the Gospels have been a very commonly a thing, very commonly read within the within the churches, just as a part of their liturgy. And so, often they would get a selection of the Gospels, and they're going to read this thing. And that particular selection says, "And he said," and it goes on to say something that Jesus said. Well, who said it? And so, often in these liturgical scenarios, the churches would go, "Well, instead of he, let's just say Jesus instead, so it's clear who's talking here." This is actually a fairly normal thing for them to do. The Net Bible does this. It's not there, but it is clearly men. So it's all it's all cool. Uh, what else is interestingly different between the two? Only the KJV mentions munitions or weapons. Mm-hmm. Keep the munition. What is a munition? It's related to ammunition, and depending on, like, probably depends on what period of English you're talking about. Munition just is just a general word for defensive weapons and things. Sometimes people will make a, a distinction between ammunition and munition and say ammunition is the rounds of the munition, but it all just depends probably on what year you're in, all right? Um, they're definitely related, right? Now, for those of you who are it, who have been in the military? Actually, I'm actually very curious. What? How are these terms used right now in the U.S. military? Ammunition. Right. They don't use munition at all. They use it as the same. They use it as the same. Okay. And so you've got the KJV using munition. We don't, in modern English, use munition, right, without am at the beginning, right? And so these are obviously very much related. And so in the KJV, it's keep the munition, all right? Maybe it's keep your arrows. It's more like probably get on your walls, 
right? As uh, you've got in the ESV, man the ramparts, all right? Or guard the rampart in the Net Bible. Or put up a watch, all right? So it's a, all right, get ready. There's a battle coming at you, all right? And this, this whole verse right here is... You know, so this is God talking to the Assyrians, right? Generally speaking, if you want to make sure you win, what you often will do when you're going to attack somebody is you don't tell them you're coming, right? You're going to try to sneak attack them. God's not worried about this. God is confident. It's, it's a way of mocking to say, hey, I'm coming. Get your defenses ready. It's not going to work. But get your defenses ready. I'm going to come destroy you right now, all right? And so it's a... It's a confidence thing, and obviously God can be supremely confident. What else in this? I think Alter's battering ram has a, a scarier vibe because the others, like, he did scatters and then dashes to pieces to sound nice. But with scattering, like, I could see people running away, but also, like, scattering seeds or, you know, the chickens run away, whatever. But mm-hmm. the battering ram is going to break your castle. Yeah, and that actually reflects. There's a in in this beginning part of this chapter. There's a lot of questions about what is actually going on in the Hebrew text here. Lots of questions of what exactly are they talking about? And this is one of those where some people read the scatterers, and some people like Alter go, it doesn't mean scatter. It's talking about a ram, right? Because those are very different things. Now a ram in theory, will hit the door and scatter the door, but that's not the idea here. So this is actually following a different reading in the Hebrew text and going, it's not about scattering, all right? They're getting a ram, and they're going to knock down the door, all right? And so, yeah, that one is another thing that's that's different, and it's it's an interesting... it's an interesting translational difference, right? And it's not just in translation. It's not just being flourishy. He is actually reading the Hebrew text differently in, in, the same, in a way that some others read as well. So that's, that's verse 1, all right? So it's, it's God saying, okay, enemy, get ready. The scatterer or the battering ram is coming after you, okay? Who's the scatterer in this case? Anybody know? Or... If it's not a scatter, who is the who who is that that's manning the battering ram to knock down their doors? Who? Anybody remember? What'd you say, Bill? It, it is a coalition between the Medes and the Babylonians. All right. Now at this point, you in the Bible there's the Medo-Persian Empire. Cyrus, at this point, the Medes and the Persians are different groups. The Medes are actually over the Persians, all right? So the Medes and the Babylonians, all right, they're tired of, they're tired of Assyria. They gang up and they attack. And so specifically, the one God uses to destroy Nineveh, all right, is a coalition of the Medes and the Persians. Uh, excuse me, the Medes and the, the Babylonians. And of course, Babylon would be the one, the great power after this. Not yet the Medes. All right, so they would be the scatterers, or they would be the ones bringing the battle ram. Verse 2. Let's take a minute and read through verse 2 and compare.
All right. What's interesting in this one? Okay. They all four use the covenant name of God. All right. And they are going to talk about Jacob and Israel. All right. What else? It does. It definitely does say the opposite of the others, right? KJV, for the Lord has turned away the excellency of Jacob. But the others are like restoring, or is about to restore, depending on your translation. All right? Interesting difference. That's actually a major difference. Now, contextually, it doesn't make a lot of sense, right? I mean, we just finished chapter 1, where it said... I'm going to restore Jacob. That's the whole point of chapter 1, is I'm going to de- destroy Nineveh and restore Judah. For it to, at this point, to say, now I'm going to destroy Judah. A little strange. Well, none of the others go that way. And ultimately, what's going on here is the uh, Septuagint, the old Greek translation of the Old Testament, all right? The Septuagint mistranslated this verse. So in the Septuagint, it has Judah getting defeated right here. Um, apparently the KJV followed the Septuagint. We're like, they're probably right. All right. But everybody else has gone, no, that's clearly not what's going on in the Hebrew text. And so you've got ultimately the Hebrew there, excuse me, the KJV following the Septuagint and likely being wrong in doing so. The New King Do they really? It says. Excellent. So the New King James is a, is a revision of the KJV to update some of the textual issues and, and other issues that, have, that people have gone, oh, well, we've figured out some things since the KJV has come about. So the NKJV corrects it. That's very interesting. Glad you shared that. Okay. Yeah, yeah everybody modern will go this way. What's that? Restore the splendor of Jacob. Good. Okay, what else? Anything else interesting to discuss there? What are they going to ruin? Net says field. Hmm. Net says field. Everyone else says branches. Like they're they're tree branches? Vine branches, right? And so it's he's using a, 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 a he's using synecdoche, using what is using the part for the whole. All right, if you go into a field uh, of 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 a vine, uh, you know, a vine field or, or a wine field, all right, and you go and you cut off all the branches, what are you doing? You're killing everything, right? Essentially. And so when it says there, I'm coming to mar your branches, it's basically saying, I'm just going to come and wipe out all your fields. And so the Net Bible, as we've discussed, they often take away the imagery and just go, this is what it means. Very, this is a very Net Bible thing to do. They're like, people might not get the branch thing. Let's just say what they mean, which is, we're going to come in and destroy your fields. Okay, so that's different. When... Okay, pride, excellency, majesty. There's a uh, there's an overlap in ideas there, right? Pride often with negative connotations, but the idea is they're not going to be defeated lowly. They're going to be big and respectable, right? 
Now, one curious thing about that is, is who is it talking about? All right, who is Jacob? Who, who, which, who are you referring to when you say Jacob? All right. Now, is it talking about the southern kingdom? Is it talking about the northern kingdom? Right. Obviously, this is a reference to their ancestor Jacob, and referring to the whole lot of 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 the the ancestors of Jacob as Jacob as a whole. Are we talking about the southern kingdom? Or are we talking about all of Israel in this case? Historically speaking, right after this, all of Israel certainly did not get restored. Did Jacob get restored? Yes, actually. I mean, that's what chapter 1 is about. All of Israel, though, did not. The northern kingdom stayed a mess, all right, for, for quite a long time. So what's going on with that? And if you look at the translations, they kind of go different ways. I mean, so for the Lord, if we take the ESV, for the Lord is restoring the majesty of Jacob as the majesty of Israel. What does this mean? Does it mean... Is it talking about the southern kingdom, and the southern kingdom will become the majesty of all of Israel? Or is it saying, is he trying to say the southern kingdom will be as majestic as the northern kingdom was? Not certainly is at that point. That's not particularly majestic. For the Lord, if we go to the KJV, has turned away, turned, well, that's turned away the excellency as the excellency of Israel. In that way, if you say that Ju- Judah is going to be destroyed like Israel's or northern kingdom was destroyed, well, that would make sense. But that's still a bad translation. For the Lord is about to restore the majesty of Jacob as well as the majesty of, is- of Israel. The Net Bible is, in their translation, is very clear about. Both will be restored. If you read their notes, they aren't so clear. So that's confusing. But that's why it's good to have their notes with it. Or for altar, for the Lord has brought back the pride of Jacob, like the pride, like the pride of Israel. Hmm. And so, what does it mean for brought back the pride of Israel, the northern kingdom? What could be happening here when it's talking about if it is talking about a restoration of the whole thing. If you turn to um, Amos chapter 9. And this is just a possibility. Yeah, Jacob and Israel, roughly synonymous, yeah. And so in that case, it would be talking about the whole kingdom, which would be why, which would be to say the whole kingdom would be restored. What would that mean? And that's why we're here in Amos. But yes, that is a good point. So Amos chapter 9, all right, we've got here, it's a discussion about the destruction of of Israel. Um, In this case, it's, it's really more about the northern kingdom. Uh, if you go to like to verse, uh, let's start in verse nine. For behold, I will command and shake the house of Israel among all the nations, as one shakes with a sieve. But no pebble shall fall to the earth. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword. Who say, disaster shall not overtake or meet us. 
Then it switches. Rest, in that day, I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise it up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes. Him who sows the seed, the mountain shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. So you've got there in Amos, all right, you've got here primarily talking about Israel as the northern kingdom. And depending on where you are in the scriptures in the Old Testament, Israel can mean everybody, or sometimes Israel is specifically a name for the northern kingdom, where it say Israel and Judah. But if we go with what Bill said, all right, which is a very reasonable way of going, saying Jacob and Israel are essentially because of the parallel, synonymous, and this is talking about the whole kingdom. If that's the case... Some people have suggested, okay, what if it's, this is like Amos chapter 9? Because Amos chapter 9, when it talks about raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches, well, what did David rule over? Northern kingdom and southern kingdom. All right? Well, turn to Acts 15. So if Amos is talking about the restoration of the whole kingdom, all right, Acts chapter 15, we have a quotation of Amos, this section, all right? And so this is the Jerusalem Council. We've discussed this recently and many times not recently, right? Where this is the discussion of the, the Gentile problem, all right? You've got Gentiles, do the Gentiles need to follow the entire law? And uh, in verse 12 of chapter 15, And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but who should write to them. Uh, to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. And so what James here is doing is he's reading Amos and going, that prophecy of the restoration all right, of the entire kingdom is not just a prophecy of the restoration of the entire kingdom back then, but it's actually about right now. And it's also about the bringing in of the Gentiles, right? So that's essentially how he's using Amos. Um, so some people proposed, well, what if this is actually, this really is a prophecy of both the northern and southern kingdom, the whole kingdom being restored. And it's not near term. It's long term, just like the prophecy in Amos ended up being long term and actually being fulfilled in Christ, in the church, in the New Testament. It's an open question. Not all things are clear. 
But that's one way to take it at least. Any, any more thoughts on Nahum chapter 2, verse 2? All right, let's, let's talk a little bit more about war. Nahum 2, verse 3. I'll give you a bit. Read through it. Compare the translation. See what you see. Right, what do you see? So in the King James Version it says the shield of his mighty man is made red. Mm-hmm. Then it's dyed red in the net, and then mm-hmm. it's uh, is red in the English Standard Version. Mm-hmm. And then his warrior shield are red in the altar. There's some ambiguity as to what's the cause of the redness. Is it blood? Because this is post-battle and they've killed a lot of people. Or is it their stuff is, is dyed beforehand as a... We're covered in blood and we're coming after you, right? Not a good sign, right? Um, it is ambiguous. And we do have historical accounts from just a little bit later where... Um, who's heard of Xenophon? You ever heard of Xenophon? He's a... Contemporary of Plato, he was a student of Socrates. Um, he actually has an account of the Persians where Cyrus, all right, has all his Persians arrayed, all right, his army out, and it talks about them as being clothed in red, all right. So this is not like right after a battle; he's just out and about, all right, and they're all clothed in red, and so it was common for them to be clothed in red. It could be a reference to after the battle they're covered in blood. I, I tend to think it's probably not. I think it's just they're clothed in red, partially because the battle hadn't quite happened yet. So we're about to attack. But there's, they're all like, is made red? Is it clothed red? Is it red from blood? I think it's probably pre-attack. All right. All right. So what else do we see here? Mister. Yeah. If the image was that they're all covered in blood, doesn't it seem weird that the shield, wouldn't they say like our swords have been made red? Yeah. You would think swords would get a lot more blood on them than, than shields. Yeah, I think that's true as well. That makes sense. 
So they're probably dyed red. All right, so, all right, what else? There are some legitimate Hebrew issues here, and so you get some odd things uh, between them. Are there really torches here? All right. That's, it's, as they look at the Hebrew text, they're like, what's the torch? Is the torches there as an image? Does it really mean torches? Hmm. It's likely, right, as you take a look at the SV, the chariots come with flashing metal on the day he musters them. All right. It's, or the Net Bible, which, once again, the Net Bible's correct. Just doesn't seem like particularly good poetic English. The chariots are in flashing metal fittings, like fire on the day of the battle. All right, flashing metal fittings. Okay, just say, just with flashing metal, we know what that means, right? Chariots are wood and metal, right? You get metal to bind, and so they, it's kind of scary. You see all this flashing metal out here from all the chariots because they want to kill you, all right? So that's probably there, but it's, but the, also the image is lights, and so torches kind of make sense because, well, if they're attacking in the daytime, torches as lights, that doesn't make any sense. But if you imagine just, okay, nighttime, torches make light. Eh. Kind of like the, the idea of, of not using the torches here. It's just, but the, the point is, the chariots, they're scary and they want to come kill you. That's the main idea here. What about that last bit? It's another one of those, it's a legitimately, it's an argument you can legitimately, legitimately make, and he's not the only one who says that it's poisoned, but none of the other translations go with poison. It's, it's possible, but it is unique among the four. And it obviously means something very different than the others, because none of the others are poisoned. All right, what about the other things here? I'm, yeah, I'm sure they would. Okay, so the chariots holding their spears, you know, like they're, you're going to joust people, yeah. sort of. Yeah, could be. I mean, they probably had, they probably had chariots and infantry and archers, and we we know the the at least the Assyrians used siege, and so there's going to be siege probably from the Babylonians and the Medes when they attack as well. So you're actually going to have a wide variety of things. And we know they had siege because we actually have carvings from the Assyrians of them carving about their battles. And like, look what we did. And in those carvings, they have their siege equipment in their stone carvings that still exist today. Uh, so it was definitely something they used. They didn't really have like catapults. That wasn't invented till later. Or, you know, trebuchets or anything like that. But they had basic siege. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the battering ram. Yeah, but they did have battering rams. And it was what you would expect a really long tree with a metal thing on the front. You move it, it's actually suspended on chains, and you just bang the door until the door you know, breaks into pieces. So they, they did have that. Yeah. All right. So why would the trees be shaking? All right. What what in the military is is made of trees, right? If you go with what you were saying, right? It's it's some sort of spear, 
right? And so the trees, the big spears, they're shaking. Is it because they're shaking their 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 spears? Ah, we we're, we're gonna poke you with these spears. Okay. So the trees are shaking. Clearly, the ESV, the Net Bible, and um, well, the ESV and the Net Bible are going with spears, right? Because they're like brandishing, right? Altar is actually going with another option, which some people go with, which is not spears but arrows, right? What are arrows? But tiny spears that you shoot further, right? Fir and cypress. All right, what's going on here? What, what's the image? Maybe the KGV got it, right? And the, all the chariots are shaking the trees. Or maybe they just didn't get the image. That would totally happen. Why carry this huge siege equipment from hundreds of miles away? We'll go to the enemy, cut their trees down, make our siege equipment in front of their city, and then kill them with it. Right? It, something you'd totally do. Verse 4. And this is where we'll stop. Which is a shame. Verse 5 is very interesting, but I guess we'll next week we'll get to it. Uh, I'll give you a minute to look at verse 4. going on here? The chariots are running through the city. Sweet. Chariot races, right? <laughs> no. No, not chariot races. This is, this is not fun chariots running through the cities. Alright, this is we're like now switching in time. Alright, ooh, now the chariots are inside the city. Running all over the streets, all right, slaying their enemies. Not, not good. They rush to and fro through the squares. In the ESV. I mean, it totally, what the KJV has is totally makes sense of what they're saying. It's just now we would not use this language for this, right? They jostle one against another in the broad ways. What do you mean in the broad ways? Well, just in the big streets, right? There's just, this isn't orderly, right? This is like driving in Cambodia, all right? This is, this is the thing. It's, they, there's so many bad chariots, bad guy chariots, they're knocking into each other as they are rampaging through your city, all right? Not, good, not a good look for Nineveh, all right? Not a good look at all. And then once again, you get the gleam like the torches, and they, they dart like lightning, or they run like the lightnings. They're fast, right? They dash here and there like flashes of lightning, or like lightning they race. Super fast. Too many of them. All through your city. Panic time. Not good, all right? Mm-hmm. Totally. 
when you're, intimidation is a powerful weapon, right? You want your stuff flashing and you want it bright and you want it obnoxious. So that they, the enemy gets really scared at what you've got out there. Any general questions, any general thoughts? Because uh, we are, it is time for us to draw this to a close. Okay. I'll leave you with this question to think about for next time. All right. Who is verse 5 talking about? Is it the Ninevites? Or is it the Medes and the, uh, the, Medes and the Babylonians? Because depending on who it's talking about, some of this doesn't make much sense. I don't think. Yes. But there is even a more specific answer in the Old Testament, because it talks about this related to Babylon and others. It's not just because God has the right to do so. It is because when they did it, they did it wickedly. They were exceedingly... And this, the reason why, one reason why the Babylonians and the Medes teamed up against the Assyrians is the Syrians were bad. They were super bad and very evil and... They, they needed to be brought down because they were an extremely wicked people. And so God used them to, dis- to destroy the, southern ki- the northern kingdom and to do a lot of damage to the southern kingdom. But God judges them as well. He has the right to do so generally. But also, they were exceedingly wicked. Right? You can do, God has something here for you to do. You can do it righteously or you can do it wickedly. All right? And for those who do good, exactly what God wants them to do, wickedly, God will judge them for it. That is very clear biblical teaching. God will use the wicked sometimes to accomplish his need, his, 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 his goals. Right? He will use them as his means. Okay. Let's be dismissed next Lord's Day, Lord willing. We'll pick up again with Nahum chapter 2. Uh, Catherine, will you please pray for us? Dismiss us.